Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This week, Mito released uh, their top 25 CWEs, or Common Weaknesses Enumerations, uh, basically looking at uh, the various different root causes for different CVEs and trying to rank those. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting report, and so we will have a look at that. Plus, we're also going to have a look at the recently announced uh, schedule for uh, LSS EU, the Linux Security Summit, coming up in uh, September. But before all that, we will do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases over the past week. This week, uh, a bit of a quieter week, I guess, on CVE fixes. 36 unique CVEs addressed by the team. Up first, we had an update for Bind, uh, the uh, DNS resolver. Two different issues here. Both of them are denial of service. Uh, in the first one, uh, when Bind was configured as a recursive resolver, it was possible to cause the configured cache size to be exceeded by a remote attacker if they were to perform queries in a particular manner. Uh, effectively, they would be able to evade the normal cache cleaning algorithm and therefore get that uh, cache usage to be a lot higher than it should have been and allow it to use far more memory than it was ever configured to do and therefore potentially cause it to get killed by the out-of-memory killer or some other kind of like a memory control system uh, and therefore cause a denial of service. Uh, and the other issue there was uh, due to the, a recursive algorithm that was used uh, and was able to be triggered in a pathological way when uh, particular configuration options were used. Uh, in that case, it would eventually exhaust all available stack space uh, over on the end of the stack and get killed by uh, probably a segfold or something similar or cleaned up by a stack clash protection or something similar. So yeah, that would result in a denial of service as well. After that uh, were kernel updates, thanks to the kernel team for these. Uh, we had an update for our 20.04 LTS release uh, for the 5.4 based kernel there on a heap of different platforms. So uh, IBM, GCP, GKE, uh, Raspberry Pi, Azure, AWS, uh, the Bluefield platform, uh, our KVM specific kernel and Oracle as well. Uh, in this case, let's say eight different CVEs fixed here. There was a denial of service that could be triggered through a type confusion in the real-time scheduler. Uh, a bunch of different use after freeze that could be triggered uh, through various USB device drivers and one actually in the PCM PCMCIA subsystem as well. I guess if anyone's still using that, uh, they could all be triggered by a local attacker with physical access, basically with a crafted hardware device in those cases. Uh, and there was also a use after free in the HFS plus file system as well as uh, the Zen uh, Plan 9 file system protocol implementation as well. We're all fixed. We also had an update for IBM specific kernel on Ubuntu 20.10. That's a 5.19 based kernel. So that was all of the ones I just talked about, plus a possible deadlock in the network traffic control subsystem that could be triggered by a local attacker, again leading to a denial of service. Then we had a huge 20 CVEs fixed for our uh, kernel in Ubuntu 2304. Uh, all of these I've discussed previously, well, and in particular, all of the really interesting ones. Uh, there were sort of four high-priority vulnerabilities here, but I actually covered those all back in episode 198 a couple episodes ago. Uh, but just briefly, uh, there was a race condition in uh, the NetFilter subsystem that was able to be triggered by a local attacker, leading to a use after free and therefore you know, denial of service or possible remote code execution. Uh, there was an out-of-bounds read in the USB handling code for the Broadcom full Mac USB Wi-Fi driver. Uh, there was a mishandling of uh, control registers in the KVM subsystem for nested guest virtual machines. An out-of-bounds write in the network queuing scheduler that was able to be triggered by a user in a, a fresh user namespace. We also had an update for uh, CUPS. In this case, uh, it was a single CVE and that goes all the way back to our 2004 LTS release and those since. 
There was a use after free uh, because cups would go and uh, log details of a connection after closing the connection. And uh, when it closes the connection, it frees the memory associated with it. And uh, since this was in the logging code, you would have to have uh, the log level set to worn or higher to make that uh, be printed and therefore have that uh, element be accessed. Uh, but in that case, it could cause a crash. So you know, through a um, segmentation violation or could potentially end up logging sensitive info if say some credentials had been allocated in the same memory that uh, was previously pointed to by that connection info that then uh, could have got logged uh, to the log file but yeah pretty unlikely that one but yeah they've been fixed for cups OpenSSL was updated for uh, our Ubuntu Pro customers. So if you're running 14.04 or 16.04 uh, with Ubuntu Pro, uh, you would have got a fix for uh, this uh, CPU-based denial of service issue that uh, could be triggered when parsing crafted ASN1 object identifiers. I talked about that one actually back in episode 197. We also had an update for .NET, so that's .NET 6 and 7 in uh, Ubuntu releases 22.04 and those since. Uh, so back in episode 199, I talked about how we'd published the latest upstream point releases for .NET uh, from Microsoft. And now we've gone and published their latest uh, point releases again because there was a regression in that previous release. Essentially, it would fail to import uh, PKCS12 blobs where the private keys were protected by a null password. And apparently this was uh, non-deterministic, which kind of sounds to me like perhaps it was due to an uninitialized uh, local stack variable or something like that. And then depending on you know where that got uh, allocated on the stack frame, what other memory was already there, uh, you know, depending on what value that then would have had. Um, but yeah, actually looking at the code, it didn't really look to be that. So I was a bit confused. But anyway, yeah, apparently it's non-deterministic, so you, you may or may not have hit that, but that has been fixed. And finally, we had an update for uh, etcd. Uh, this is a single CVE for our more recent releases. So that's uh, 2210 and 2304, the two interim releases. In this case, it leaked credentials into the debug log uh, that then could be accessed by a remote attacker via the debug API endpoint. So that was fixed uh, just to go and uh, clear those before they got logged. And that is it for the week in security updates. Okay, so uh, one thing I noticed this week is that MITRE published uh, the top 25 most dangerous software weaknesses or uh, top 25 CWEs. I've got a link to that in the show notes and I've actually got, I guess, a reproduction of that list in the show notes as well. And I'll kind of talk you through those. So um, MITRE, which uh, operates the US Homeland Security Systems Engineering and Development Institute, uh, they released, as I say, their 2023 CWE top 25 most dangerous software weaknesses. Uh, and this is calculated by analyzing the previous two years worth of public vulnerability data from the National Vulnerability Database, or NVD, for their various root causes and then going and ranking those. It also incorporates uh, weakness data for uh, these uh, CWEs that form uh, CISAs, or the US uh, Cybersecurity and Information Security Agency's List of Known Exploited Vulnerabilities Catalog, or the KEV. So this is basically a list of uh, known vulnerabilities that are currently being exploited. So kind of things that you may want to prioritize, I guess, if you are uh, you know, trying to figure out which patches to deploy or not. And as I say, this looks at the root causes for different uh, vulnerabilities. And so uh, CWEs, or Common Weakness Enumeration, it's essentially a list of software and hardware weakness types. So it contains things like out-of-bounds write or um, integer overflow or uh, cross-site request forgery or uh, even things like incorrect default permissions or use of hard-coded credentials, a huge range of different kinds of things that you know are uh, I guess, elements of a vulnerability or a vulnerability in their own right or a type of a class of vulnerability, should I say. 
Uh, as I said, they looked at uh, the CVEs that were published in 2021 and 2022 and used those where they could map uh, the CWE or this you know, common weakness enumeration against, uh, I, I guess, a simplified collection of, I guess, the most prevalent 130 weakness types. You know, there are a huge number of different types of CWEs, but there's a sort of 130, which is sort of the standard uh, list that uh, they try to get CNAs to assign from. And so each CVE that is published by NVD, as I say, has these associated CWEs that identify the root causes for the vulnerabilities. And they're generally chosen by the CNA or the CVE numbering authority that assigns the CVE in the first place. So uh, in our case, you know, Canonical is a CNA and we will assign CVEs for software in Ubuntu and different uh, Canonical software products. Uh, often in Ubuntu, we're not necessarily uh, you know, the upstream developer for a lot of the stuff that we ship, um, but we do sometimes have vulnerabilities that are specific to the packages or uh, those packages that are in Ubuntu, like uh, just recently, and I'll probably talk about this in next week's episode actually, there was a vulnerability in the account service package, uh, but that was due to a, a specific patch that we had developed and uh, were carrying in Ubuntu ourselves. So we went and assigned the CVE for that, but given that you know account service isn't a, a standard Ubuntu project and we don't run that, that's got its own upstream. Stream, uh, that would normally be assigned by MITRE or maybe Red Hat or someone like that um, for general vulnerabilities there. But as I say, the CNA that assigns the CVE also assigns the CWEs for those CVEs. And for a given uh, CVE, you can have multiple CWEs or multiple root causes because often it can be something like you know a chain of different uh, kind of weaknesses that lead to the ultimate vulnerability. Uh, and so what uh, they've done in this analysis, they've calculated a score for each of these uh, weaknesses or CWEs. And they do that as, I guess, the frequency of the CWE compared to all the others. So looking at all the different vulnerabilities, they you know collect up all the CWEs that are assigned against those and then see how often each of them occurs in the list. Plus, they then multiply that by the average CVSS score for the different CVEs that uh, they came from. And so we've talked in this podcast before about, I guess, how CVSS is a bit of an imprecise metric. Uh, it's often used in the industry to try to give a uh, like a risk score for a vulnerability or a way of prioritizing vulnerabilities. But really, all it is uh, numerically is trying to be something like a severity score for the vulnerability. And it's often hard to compare uh, CVSS scores between different vulnerability types and the like. Uh, and that's why in Ubuntu, we have our own or traditionally have had our own priority priority scoring system as to how we will um, score them and we try to take into account risk in that which you know, CVSS doesn't really take into account risk but you know we really want to take into account you know are people more likely to be affected by this is it part of the default config is it uh, a default package all that kind of stuff and that that you know a lot more goes into that as to I guess how as a distro we prioritize which CVEs to fix over others. But yeah, so you know they take into account both uh, the CVSS scores of these CVEs plus, I guess, how uh, frequent uh, these uh, root causes are, and then come up with a measure. So if we go and look at that list, I've got it, uh, as I say, in the show notes uh, or top 25, but I'm going to look at the top 10 to make it a little more uh, manageable here on the podcast. Uh, so number one is out of bounds right, which isn't really surprising. I talk about that a lot in the podcast. Um, they come in with a total score of 63.7. And then after that is cross-site scripting at 45, uh, SQL injection at 34. 
and, and so those are the scores. Uh, and then after that is kind of a long tail of um, other CWEs uh, that all have a score of at least half of that. So use after freeze only has a score of 16. Then uh, command injection, a score of 15. Improper input validation, also 15. Out of bounds read, a score of 14. Path reversal, uh, CSRF. And then finally, unrestricted upload of file with dangerous type has only a score of 10. But after that, uh, all the scores are in at you know under seven. So like, it's kind of interesting to see, I guess, these disjoint um, numbers that we see, or the disjoint scores. So I'm not too sure that the score itself is a great uh, you know way of trying to try and look at this. As I say, the top three have a much higher score. All of those are over 34, whereas the rest are half of that. They're below 16. Um, What's also interesting, though, is that they also quote the number of CVEs that featured in the known exploited vulnerability list, as I mentioned before, that is maintained by CISA. So out of bounds rights, there are uh, 70 of the known exploited uh, vulnerabilities uh, are in out of bounds right. However, cross-site scripting, uh, which was number two on uh, that uh, most dangerous list, has only four in that, and uh, SQL injection has only six. So each of those is an order of magnitude less than out of bounds rights, and yet you know they are the top three. And so I guess it's interesting to see that just because there are more of a given vulnerability type, so we have this, uh, you know, it features high in the top 25 list of most dangerous CWEs, it doesn't mean they're actually getting exploded more. So your actual danger as you know, having the software deployed or not, you know, perhaps is lower. Or maybe it just means that uh, you know, the known exploited vulnerabilities list isn't as complete as it should be. Maybe it's missing a lot of data there of you know, vulnerabilities that are being exploited that are dangerous um, that then end up featuring in this list, but you know, they're not known to be exploited. But you know, I, I'm not sure that's necessarily true. Also then, we can also see it kind of the other way around as well. You know, even say out-of-bounds reads that featured at number seven in the top 25 most dangerous list, yet only two of them, and there's only two of them that feature in the known exploited vulnerabilities list, which isn't too surprising because an out-of-bounds read is usually a denial-of-service type vulnerability uh, or the impact of that is usually denial-of-service. And so it's not likely uh, that, you know, people will be exploiting that. I guess sometimes they can result in things like information disclosure, but, you know, that that's really dependent. And finally, um, you know, cross-site request for came in at number nine in the top 25 most dangerous CWEs and yet there are none in the known exploited list that is uh, you know using uh, cross-site request forgery so that's really interesting as well you know maybe we don't need to be bothering patching all these CSRF phones that we see uh, as I say what does this mean for Ubuntu security yeah, ultimately as I say it's interesting and it, I think it does back up our more traditional approach to CVE priority assignment that we've done you know instead of trying to use something like CVSS which as I say is a bit of an imprecise metric for doing priority assignment um, trying to look at more the context for packages and the context of the vulnerability itself within that is really important and I guess how that then also fits into the wider Ubuntu ecosystem but it's also I guess interesting from an industry point of view that we still see that uh, out of bounds rights in this case a memory corruption vulnerability is still number one and it's number one by a long way as I say the score for out of bounds rights was uh, 63 and then uh, cross-site scripting that came after that has a score of 45 so it's you know I don't know Double, uh, it's an extra 50% higher than, uh, the, yeah, than the one below it. So it's still, I guess, probably the most prevalent and still probably I think that is a good reflection of the most dangerous vulnerability, particularly because, as I say, there were 70 instances of that in the known exploited vulnerabilities list. So it really does show, I guess, that memory corruption vulnerabilities are uh, still a really big thing. You know, everyone that uh, sort of says, oh, with the advent of memory-safe languages, Rust and Go and the rest, you know, they're going to, uh, I guess, 
rule out that whole class of vulnerabilities. That is true, but it's the, eco, the software ecosystem is still uh, has a lot of packages that were written in C and C++ and other memory unsafe languages. Uh, that means, well, I think we're going to still have a lot of these vulnerabilities with us uh, for a long time to come. You know, we've still got a huge attack service in the Linux kernel itself, all written in C. And whilst there are efforts ongoing uh, through uh, the kernel self-protection project and others to try to make that safer, I think that we're still going to have uh, those kind of vulnerabilities there for a long time. Uh, so you know, things like uh, static and dynamic analysis are still going to be really important to try to find and fix uh, those bugs. But yeah, I think uh, it's not going to be until we start to see wholesale replacement of various uh, software packages or projects with uh, these new memory safe languages that we're going to start to actually see a real decrease in uh, things like memory corruption vulnerabilities as like the, the leaders in these sorts of lists. But even then, you know, I'm not too worried as a security engineer that uh, that then means there's going to be the end of security bugs. As we can see, uh, things like cross-site scripting, uh, SQL injection, OS command injection, improper input validation, path reversal, cross-site request forgery, all of these are more like logic bugs. You know, there's still going to be these sorts of issues in our, you know, our more modern memory-safe languages. Uh, you know, nothing stops you from, uh, I don't know, imp implementing the wrong logic such that you then have a path reversal vulnerability or whatever it might be. So, you know, until we get, I guess, um, more higher level language concepts that maybe allow us to even then start to rule out those sorts of uh, vulnerabilities. You know, we're still going to have security bugs for a long time to come. But yeah, it is, I guess, you know, interesting to look at this kind of list, particularly, as I say, from, you know, if you're a, an organization looking to then start um, roll out security patches, you know, so perhaps you're doing your own patch management of the various updates that we do in Ubuntu, you know, you can then start to prioritize that, uh, yeah, you know, the things that I mentioned are out-of-bounds rights. They're the ones you really want to prioritize, but maybe things like uh, out-of-bounds reads or uh, others you know maybe they're not as important okay so the other thing i just wanted to touch on briefly this week was that uh the schedule for the linux security summit in europe has just been published so the linux security summit is a conference that's running uh for a couple of days in september so the 20 and 21st of september this year in uh, bilbao in spain and that's alongside the open source summit that's running uh, for those same days and a couple others as well I noticed it's still a chance to get uh, early bird registration for that. That does close on the 6th of July. So you've got about a week still if you want to get in as an early bird and get a bit of a discount on your uh, conference registration. Uh, you can register obviously to be there in person or you can register as a virtual attendee as well. And uh, saying that, there actually will be a fair few of the Ubuntu security team there. Uh, a lot of us are going over there to uh, meet up, but also to attend the conference. So we will be around. Uh, if you do see anyone there, come and say good day. Uh, but I did see uh, of the talks that are there, you know, there's a lot of topics being covered this time around. Uh, there's a talk on uh, BPF, uh, another one on exploit detection, uh, one that I thought looked quite interesting uh, for something like uh, Ubuntu in particular, trying to estimate the risk of a given OSS security project. So a given open source security project from uh, the repo alone and try to look at the different attributes of that. Uh, there's a talk on uh, Opti, so um, trust zone uh, usage, how to use that in different uh, scenarios. Uh, one that I thought actually looked really cool uh, was uh, a novel project using uh, the Cherry, that's kind of a capability-based hardware architecture to try to uh, protect security-sensitive parts of the Linux kernel itself. So trying to say, you know, the kernel itself is a really big attack service, but can we put things like uh, the security modules or other security-sensitive parts of that uh, under, I guess, uh, more hardware-protected um, areas so that they can't be tampered with? And that, yeah, I'd really like to know details on that. That sounds cool. Plus, 
Uh, looks like Matthew Garrett is doing a talk on TPMs again, uh, using TPMs for per-process secret storage. Uh, there's a talk on Secure Boot, and plus there's a talk uh, doing the usual updates from the LSM maintainers, and actually a couple different sessions on the Landlock LSM as well uh, from Microsoft. So yeah, a huge amount going on there. So you know, if you are interested, obviously in Linux security, and you're in uh, Europe or in uh, Spain in particular, yeah, come along. Uh, as I say, and a bunch of the security team will be there. We'd love to talk to you if you do find us there at all. Okay, so that does bring us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can always email us. Uh, you can find us in the Ubuntu Security channel on libera.chat and we are on uh, Mastodon at Ubuntu Security at fosterdon.org there too. Okay, so thanks again for listening, everyone. I'll be back again with you all next week. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.